All right, welcome to the FF Shrinks Podcast. We are your hosts, Nick Morrow and John Rampersad. You can hit us up on Twitter at Nick FF Shrinks and at John FF Shrinks. Today we got a great show, so let's get this therapy session started. All right, Wednesday, September 5th, we are officially on the precipice. We have less than 24 hours before the official season kickoff tomorrow. So in honor of us being on the eve of the season, this episode we are going to take a look at our top five league winners for this fantasy year. And here's what I mean by league winners. We are going to be looking at players that have at least a third round ADP or lower that we just feel are going to be in for a ridiculous season this year. Along with that, we're also going to take a look at our best sleepers and value picks going into the season as well. So with those parameters set, let's go ahead and dive in. All right, starting off, my number one league winner, quarterback, Andrew Luck. Man, John, I feel like it's one of those things where in fantasy, people are so big on the whole recency bias thing. And I understand, like, I get caught up in it too sometimes, but there's sometimes we just forget just how naturally talented a player is. Like, I feel like for Andrew Luck, everyone's gotten so caught up in the idea that, yes, he hasn't played football in 600 days. Yes, there is going to be rust, and he's probably going to get off to a slow start. But the thing they're also forgetting is that the Colts' offense still has nothing. It's literally in the exact same state that Andrew Luck left it in. In fact, it's probably even worse. They have a worse running game than they had before. They don't have any different wide receivers. Their tight end situation is still the same. Their defense isn't any better. It's pretty much looking at Andrew Luck or bust. So for any kind of offensive production to come out of that team, it's all going to run through Andrew Luck's hands. And the last time we saw him on the field in 2016, remember, the dude was playing hurt still during that time period. And he produced 4,200 yards, 31 touchdowns, passing he had a couple on the ground rushing 300 rushing yards because people forget like how mobile he was that was 2016 and then we go back well like a year even further even in his down year i think what 2015 i think that's when we saw like the first time he really got hurt if i remember correctly and we just don't even we just completely ignore that one 2014 was the one where andrew luck completely like went off and he had 4,700 yards, 40 passing touchdowns, 270 on the ground, three rushing touchdowns. Do I feel like he's going to replicate those exact numbers? Probably not, but it's still one of those things where based off his like current ADP, just based off a fancy football calculator, Andrew Luck is still slated going around what? I think he's like right now eighth, ninth round or even later in some cases, just kind of depending on who you have in your league right now. And to me, that's just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, right now he's like at 804, according to Fantasy Football Calculator. So you're telling me you're going to get someone that could easily be a top three quarterback as long as he comes back feeling good. Like I said, little slow start. But after that, I feel like he's just going to hit the ground running from there. What do you think, John? Yeah, I couldn't completely agree with that, uh, with that 804 ADP. Um, Andrew Luck definitely is a value. I, I do understand why he's dropping a bit and there's concern because you never just want to say, oh, someone's over an injury. It's not bothering them because an injury, whether it's mentally bothering you, physically bothering you, it can definitely have an effect. But based on what we've seen from preseason, I think, you know, like you said, he just has to kind of knock the rust off. Maybe that takes a week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. So maybe you won't jump out of the gate being that high power Andrew Luck that we're used to seeing. But at some point, he should be able to get to on that consistent basis where he's getting you, you know, 20 plus points a game, uh, fantasy points a game. Um, I, and I do, I kind of disagree. I feel like maybe the offense overall, things are probably a little bit better than they used to be. I think the line's a little bit better than he's ever had. And uh, I guess when you compare like Ebron to Dwayne Allen, I know Ebron drops a lot of balls. Um, I, I still prefer Ebron. And. Uh, you know, just with the with the overall better offense, I think things can, things are looking pretty good for Luck. So, yeah, where he's going now in the eighth round is a super steal. And even if it's a round or two earlier, you decide to pull the trigger because other quarterbacks that you liked are gone. That's a, that's a great idea. And he can definitely – I wouldn't be surprised if he's on a bunch of uh, championship teams at the end of the year. 
Yeah, I think you said it really well. It's like, if, especially if a lot of the other quarterbacks around him are gone. Let's say the quarterbacks that are going out, like around his spot is you have Kirk Cousins, one spot lower at 805. Then you're looking into Matt Stafford, Jimmy Garoppolo. Still don't even know how Jimmy Garoppolo is this high. Um, Phillip Rivers later on, Matt Ryan. The only person I feel like that could be debatable among that list is Kirk Cousins just because of all the upside he has. But still, even his highest ceiling is not Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck is still one of those quarterbacks that can be a 5,000-yard passer, um, high-volume, 30-touchdown guy. Am I going to think he's going to do that much? Probably not. But just from the overall value you're going to be able to get for getting him like in that 8th, ninth round, depending on how your league is, you're able to load up on so many other like positions of value that your team should be stacked at that point in time going in with a nice quarterback. All right, so the next one, I'm going to my list, going to the running back format. Someone I was like super high on all offseason. It was funny because his like ADP did not change at all, according to Fantasy Football Calculator. Jamal Williams, I know of all, I'm going to be like one of the people just in that camp by myself because everyone else loves Aaron Jones, and I get it. Aaron Jones, when he came in those couple games, he looked explosive. I know everyone said that he looks like he's the most talented runner, and I'm not even going to argue with that fact. The only thing I'm going to mention is Remember a lot of those, I think those Aaron Jones games, he also had Aaron Rodgers for like one of them. Jamal Williams, on the other hand, those games where he had like probably not the best yards per carry average, he was dealing with Brett Hundley. So they're just stacking the box. We really didn't have a choice but to kind of grind it out and not be very productive in that case. What I'm looking at is mainly based off Mike McCarthy. Mark, Mike McCarthy all offseason has been raving about how much he likes Jamal Williams, um, how much of a big year he thinks he's going to have. And just looking at his past um, track record, Mike McCarthy typically has not been a coach to really go for the whole RBBC like setup. Like he had Eddie Lacy in the past. Even like this last year, he wanted Ty Montgomery to be the guy. And Ty Montgomery was the guy for those first like couple weeks before he got hurt. The only reason that he had um, Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones behind him in the first place was the Packers were tired of having their starting running backs get hurt, so they just wanted to have more depth and value there. And turns out they're right. They needed to have that. Even at that point, Jamal Williams was still ahead of Aaron Jones on the depth chart. So Mike McCarthy saw both of their skill sets, and he still prefers Jamal Williams. And so that's why I feel like going into this offseason, all he did was supplant Ty Montgomery because we all know at this point Ty Montgomery is not a 100% three down running back Jamal Williams can be involved in the passing game now as to the heavy amount as Ty Montgomery can be but he's going to be involved in the passing game he can get red zone work he's going to be all over the field and it's just an Aaron Rodgers offense we've already have seen it before any running back that can at least get the majority of carries for a Green Bay offense when Aaron Rodgers is under center is going to be a productive fantasy back. It's just a matter of opportunity. He's just going to have a ton of red zone looks all the time. So I'm big on Aaron Jones. I mean, not Aaron Jones in this case, but Jamal Williams um, being that running back that can just come in and easily be a top one, be um, top RB this year. And if you want to be on the safe side, I like a, a lot of people have just still gotten Aaron Jones as a handcuff because if he doesn't work out, then you just slide in and like the other Packers running back because there's still enough difference between their ADP where you could walk away with both of them. Yeah, I won't go on too much because I this is another thing that I feel like we completely agree on. I'm pretty big on Jamal Williams right now for his ADP. Uh, like you said, everyone has seen Aaron Jones run the ball, and he looks like a more explosive runner, so people are leaning towards him. But like you said, we've seen how Mike McCarthy operates – uh, pass blocking is important to him, and he's not one of those RBBC types. So even last year, he tried to give a certain back the full workload. First was Ty Montgomery, he went down. Then, uh, you know, Jamal Williams, and then Aaron Jones, just depending on who was injured at the time. And uh, like you said, Jamal Williams had a worse situation because he was playing ma uh, mainly with Brett Hundley instead of Aaron Rodgers. So whenever you're in Aaron Rodgers' offense, catching little dinks and dunks out of the backfield become more prevalent, and that's just going to add up on the statue for Jamal Williams. And he's also big enough to punch it in on the ground too. So as long as he plays decently and kind of holds off um, Aaron Jones and Ty Montgomery, as long as they're getting limited touches, I expect them to, to get touches, but as long as they're getting limited touches, he can easily, uh, you know, be a tail end RB1. Cause we've seen, you know, we've seen running backs like Eddie Lacy near his ending time with the Packers and he was still effective um, catching the ball just because that's, that's, kind of what happens in this Aaron Rodgers offense. 
Yeah, and the main thing is that he still just has two games unimpeded. With Aaron Jones having to deal with the suspension, and he was a little bit banged up this year um, coming in from training camp and preseason, meaning that he had even less time to work with Aaron Rodgers. Even Aaron Rodgers has been on record saying like how much he just values reps. So Jamal Williams was able to get most of the reps. So that just even further cements the point. So I really like it, especially as long as he does pretty decent in those first two games. I don't even think he has to do great. You could be looking at not getting yeah that high end RB one, but a guaranteed low end RB two. As long as he just doesn't like start fumbling the ball or getting hurt. I think the next running back I have is going to be Kenyon Drake. Now, see, it comes to Kenyon Drake. It's funny. It's like he just has a small sample size that we're going off of last year. There's only two games, like in week 13 and week 14, where he had 20-plus like carries on the ground. Both of those games, he managed to get 100 yards rushing. But it's just it's the eye test. When you watch Kenyon Drake, no matter if you're trying to watch all 20 of his carries or you're just seeing him catch a couple balls, this dude is just explosive, and he just looks like he is one of the best athletes on the field. It's just when you watch it, you just understand that Adam Gase – would have to be out of his mind not to feature this man. And I understand that was the narrative at the beginning of the offseason. We we're all worried about Frank Gore coming in because Frank Gore just does not die. And he's going to go ahead and start splitting carries with him. Then Kalen Balaj was drafted, being a bigger back. You start worrying about him vulturing. So far in the preseason, I understand that Frank Gore pretty much did not play, but you still saw the explosiveness of Kenyon Drake in there. And even Adam Gase has said on record he would like to get Kenyon Drake around like 15, 20 touches a game, which in fantasy, especially when you're getting those middle round backs, like in the third, fourth round, if you're getting 15 touches a game, that's pretty much what you're already expecting right off the back end. For someone that is that explosive, he does not need to be like one of those grinding backs, like how Adrian Peterson or Marshawn Lynch was, where they had to get 18 carries in order to wear defense down and break one. He can break one on any given play, and he's so involved in the passing game, not in the aspect like how you may think of Christian McCaffrey. You may just get like those dump-off passes like at the two, three-yard line and then go from there. Kenya Drake could go split out a wide, a wide receiver and run routes. Like That's how involved in the passing game he's going to be. So I can look at him as being a big person to have an explosive year. They still traded Jay Ajayi last year, and I understand live that was probably some personality stuff in the locker room. But one of the biggest things I notice is when J.J. was struggling behind that offensive line, not even to get anything off the ground and score, the moment Kenyon Drake comes in, that dude's able to completely uplift their offense and just give them more explosions. So I think Adam Gase likes him. The team's going to respond to him. So I really am big on Kenyon Drake coming into this year. Yeah, um, I like Kenyon Drake as well. I think he's really talented. And if you go back and watch his, uh, the tape on him from last year, you can tell he is a good runner. Um, the only things that do worry me is I think him and Frank Gore are still listed as co-starters and Frank Gore doesn't go away. So Frank Gore will, he will yield touches to Frank Gore. I do think that the offense still won't be very good. Uh, I'm not the hugest Ryan Tannehill believer. Do I think, I mean, they'll probably be competitive in a lot of games and they'll put up some points, but they don't strike me as a team that you're consistently seeing that put up 24, 30 points a game. You know, there's someone who you, they might get a couple touchdowns throughout, whether it's Tannehill throwing it to Devontae Parker, Kenny Stills, or Albert Wilson, or Gusecki, uh, Drake, or if Gore punches one in. So, so I do think that Drake's ceiling is a little bit capped. Maybe the situation changes. Um, I just, based on what I've seen from Adam Gase, I just don't know if he's going to give him the full workload. That being said, uh, like I said, I do think he can be a valuable pick. Uh, I, when I'm in a league, I have a share of uh, Drake as well. I think it was like the last pick of the third round. Needed another back at that point when the other backs that are going in that range. Um, I think Drake has the most upside, and I think he has a decent floor too because he is going to get carries. So uh, I definitely, uh, not in complete agreement with you, but I definitely agree with uh, the points you're making when it comes to Kenyon Drake. Yeah, And I understand your apprehension. I think the only thing I would want to like counter to that is just, I do believe there is a slight misconception when it comes to running backs where, okay, if they're on a bad team, they're not going to do well. Well, yes, that can be true in some cases, but we've seen the opposite happen a lot. Like one of the main things is like Jordan Howard, like the last two years, the Bears offense, one, it was not a good offense and they weren't even a good team, but yeah, Jordan Howard was still able to be productive and that's without him really even being a pass catching back. 
So I believe there are still situations out there where you'll have teams, even the Niners. Um, what, Carlos Hyde was like a top 10 running back last year. And even with that situation, and technically he got worse as a fantasy option when Jimmy Garoppolo came in. So when they started winning, he even started doing worse. So there are backs out there that can still produce well. And I think that's where the pass catching aspect comes into it. Anytime you typically get a running back that can give you 30 to 40 catches within a season, he's almost guaranteed to finish like in the top 15. And I feel like that's what you're going to get from Kenyon Drake. So even if their team isn't as good, I think his pass catching ability is what's going to let him stand out more so than other running backs. Yeah, those are those are definitely some possible points. And uh, I definitely, like I said, going where, where his ADP is, I definitely think he'll pay off. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. All right, but that was my last back. So going on to my final two on the wide receiver side. Man, I never thought I'd admit this because I was such a big hater on this, but uh, that's why you got to love fantasy. Your mind changes from year to year. This year, my league winner wide receiver is Amari Cooper. God, that just even feels weird for me to say. But I was, I've always been a big Crabtree guy just because of all the red zone looks he got from Derek Carr. Michael Crabtree's gone. I like Jordy. I think he says a little bit of juice, but I just don't think he'll ha- like he'll have the same kind of rapport that Derek Carr had with Crabtree. And John Gruden, he's just we've already seen it a little bit with this Cleo Mack trade. He's uh, he has his own set of rules, his own set of mindset where he's just going to go like make the team go uh, go and operate in one direction. And I think he's going to be hell bent on making sure Amari Cooper is going to be that number one wide receiver. It's probably one of the reasons that he got Crabtree out of there. Um, in the past, John Gruden's always been able to produce a wide receiver that's at least had like a thousand yards and like five touchdowns. So if Amari Cooper can get back to his what 2016 form where he had 83 catches, 1150 yards, and five touchdowns, that was good enough to make him like the low end of a wide receiver one. If you're telling me he was able to get that kind of production while splitting a lot of those targets with Michael Crabtree, once Michael Crabtree is gone. And then you have John Gruden there just trying to make sure he can force feed the aerial offense to Amari Cooper. Then I'm just, I, I'm just looking for him to be able to make a big jump in that department. So he's one of those wide receivers that you may see be able to come in, finally hit that 1300 yard mark, seven touchdowns. And you're suddenly looking at him as being one of those guys that helped you win a ton of fantasy games this year. And I know the big thing was last year for performance, but Derek Carr has been on record that Amari Cooper played through pretty much the entire year injured and banged up on a bad foot so he's healthy coming into the year it's a new offense hopefully it's going to be more so centered around him through the air so i really like amari cooper coming into this season let's be honest the raiders just look like they're going to stink um john gruden's even gotten rid of cleo mag pretty much indicating that they're in a rebuilding mode so this is fantasy garbage time points do exist i can see amari cooper having maybe more of an Allen Robinson-like year where he just gets a ton of garbage time points and is able to be able to come big week in and week out. How do you feel, John? Yeah, Amari Cooper, for where he's going, he definitely has, like, the highest upside. So I think on Fantasy Football Calculator, it says 310 right now. So the other receivers in that range are Doug Baldwin, Adam Thielen, Larry Fitzgerald, um, you know, I, I don't. I think he easily has a higher ceiling than all those guys. We know that Fitzgerald is, you know, at his age now, he's probably not going to be, um, you know, catching long touchdown bombs or anything like that. He'll be a heavy possession receiver, and he'll continue to score some touchdowns and be valuable for for fantasy teams as well as, uh, you know, Thielen. He'll be uh, an integral part of that Vikings offense. But Amari Cooper, like you said, he really does have. He not only has he shown the potential for to put up those big games, we can easily see a bunch of those just based on the fact that A, he's healthy, and then B, it just looks like the Raiders aren't going to be that great of a team. Uh, you know, they got rid of Khalil Mack on defense. The defense will be worse. Um, John Gruden is kind of, you know, probably bringing like an outdated mindset. Uh, so I, I just feel like they won't be winning a lot of games, which is all, which is great for, you know, Derek Carr and and Amari Cooper in the second half uh, to try to put up those garbage time points. And uh, we've seen Amari do it before. So based on his ADP right now, he could very well be a league winner because, you know, say where you're getting him in the fourth round, he's your second or third wide receiver. You know, there's a chance, there's a 
not even just a chance, there's a pretty good chance he ends up as a tail end wide receiver one, just based on his track record. So he's he's a steal right now. Yeah, it's one of those things where even with last year, I think the one thing people forget. Well, one thing that I know they remember, but kind of like struggling the rug now, is that one 200-yard game. In the NFL, it is not easy getting 200 yards receiving in a single game. That's why you only see the receivers that pull it off typically are the most talented athletes at that position. And Amari Cooper has shown that he has the potential to have those monster breakout games. It just happens to be he has to pretty much be the only one getting targets, and that's exactly where it looks like it's going to be going this year in the passing offense. So following up on that whole point itself, we're going to another wide receiver that's also managed to get not just one, but back-to-back 200-yard games, Josh Flash Gordon himself. And pretty much the name itself is self-explanatory. We all understand how Josh Gordon could be a league winner. If he can get back into his 2013 form, and yeah, geez, even when I say that, it's one of those things where you forget that that was five years ago. But that was the year he had 1,600 yards and nine touchdowns. And even last year when he came in, um, Casey Award, one of the best corners in the NFL, still said that Josh Gordon coming off of the couch was still one of, it was like the, one of the hardest people he had to guard. Now that he's actually had a full, pretty much a, what's it, wouldn't say a full offseason because he had to um, leave the team for a second, but he's been pretty active with the football regiment getting back into shape. I'm looking for Josh Gordon to be able to come in and try to dominate the competition again. I have zero worries for him, just as him being an athletic freak of nature. It's more so just what you're looking at with Tyrod Taylor or Tyrod. I I just can't keep up with it. He keeps going back and forth. (laughs) Um, Be able to get him the football. Because I know he's seen flashes of being able to support Sammy Watkins during that one campaign of a few years back in Buffalo, but still, there's still going to be Jarvis Landry around. I don't know how involved Antonio Callaway is going to be. David Njuku looks like he's going to have like a breakout year. So if anything, the main knock against Josh Gordon is the plethora of weapons around him. But I still feel like at the end of the day, when the Browns are going to want to start winning games to bring some respectability back to the franchise, they're going to lean on just the most gifted player on the football field. And that's going to be Josh Gordon. So it's one of those things where it's just it's just a faith thing. You look at just being the him being the athletic specimen he is, it makes all the sense in the world how he can easily be someone that can end up as the he ended up as the number one wide receiver this year. No one would be surprised. It'd be one of those things like, oh yeah, yeah, that happened with Josh Gordon. He's a beast. That doesn't shock anyone. But then if he ended up as like the number 20 wide receiver, no one'd be surprised about that too, just because, oh yeah, it's been five years. He has all the weapons in the offense. So he's literally the he pretty much is the embodiment of a boomer bust product, but I'm going to go more so with the boom on Josh Gordon being one of my league winners this year. Even if you're having to take him, because I think right now his ADP is like at the 406, 408, according to Fantasy Football Calculator right now. Yeah, 408. So even then, I'm still looking at him. He could be a great upside pick for someone's draft team. Yeah, no, I love Josh Gordon. Um, he's an insane athlete and just a great wide receiver. And, you know, we all heard last year, too, what Casey Hayward had to say. So, uh, no, no disrespect for me, for Josh Gordon. The things that I am a little concerned about is he hasn't played a full season in a while. You never know where – I know he's been staying crazy shape and, you know, he looks amazing, but he goes in after five, six, seven straight weeks. And, you know, maybe he gets some sort of soft tissue injury or something. The same reason why people are a little hesitant on luck and other people like that. It is why Josh Gordon is slipping a little bit. Um, so th- those are some of the worries. Uh, like you said, he can finish number one or he can finish 25. So I think you kind of have to like take an average. Uh, he's going – I'm surprised to see his ADP that looks in certain leagues that I've drafted in. I've seen him go much higher, so I don't have any uh, Josh Gordon on any of my fantasy teams at this point. But, um, you know, I, I, like you said, I'm not going to be surprised at all. Um, if he puts up a big year, he'll definitely have big games in there. Uh, I'm also a little bit worried about the number of mouths to feed there. I think Jarvis Landry is going to command a lot of targets. He's already worked up a rapport with both Tyrod Taylor and Baker Mayfield. So I, even though Josh Gordon will be the most talented, I don't know if he's going to be the number one guy that, that, uh, Tyrod's looking for. So, um, hundred percent wouldn't be surprised if he's a league winner. Also wouldn't be surprised if there's some sort of struggle 
or you know, misses game, or not only that, I, it's it's also a Hugh Jackson thing where he's really hard to trust that he's going to do the right thing. So, um, th- those are my my concerns there. Yeah, and all your concerns are valid, especially the Hugh Jackson thing. Like, I don't I don't know what that dude's doing. Hopefully, it comes down to where he starts feeling that he could get fired like at any point in time. So he just starts leaning on his best players in order to make plays for him. But yeah, I completely agree with you. Josh Gordon is going to be one of those polarizing things and just, yeah, I just believe in the talent. So, but I completely understand where you're coming from on that point. But yeah, so just going back over my league winner list. So yeah, so at the top, I had Andrew Luck at quarterback, Kenyon Drake at running back, Jamal Williams, my other back. And then following it up with wide receivers, Amari Cooper and Josh Gordon. So those are my five league winners for this year. And so, John, I know you said that you had a nice batch of values and sleepers. Yeah, I guess I'll just go over some guys that I think you can grab anywhere from the 6th to 12th round, kind of the mid to late uh, rounds. I think there's a lot of lottery ticket type guys that you should be taking a chance on. Uh, there's a lot of receivers I like maybe in that that are currently going at ADP around the 10th, 11th round, and maybe you might even want to reach. Um, I guess we'll go from an, from an ADP standpoint. Uh, I guess I'll start the list off with, uh, with a tight end, Trey Burton, who right now is going 10th overall in the 6th round. Um, you know, with Philadelphia, we've seen how athletic and uh, how, how Trey Burton uh, is a skilled tight end. And then we also got a chance to see him in the preseason. And even though we didn't get to see a lot of uh, Mitch Trubisky and the whole starting offense out there, you could just see that that's a, a favorite target. You know, Trubisky likes going to the tight ends, and that's going to be a, a continued target for him. So right now where he's going is, what, the fifth, maybe fifth, sixth tight end off the board. He has a realistic chance to finish in that range around, you know, Travis Kelsey and Zach Ertz. And Kelsey's going in the mid-third, and Ertz is going in the mid-fourth. So you're able to wait two more rounds and, and grab someone like Trey Bird at a position where after the top, you know, top four or five, it's really a crapshoot and, and it's really hard to kind of stream and pick, uh, you know, the tight end's a lot harder to just be like, oh, okay, you know, they have an easy matchup because a lot of times you'll, you'll think that and then the backup tight end who's probably a blocking tight end comes up with that one touchdown grab and uh, your tight end only comes out with, you know, two receptions for 20-something yards. So I think Trey Bird is someone who, can win some leagues and is a great value uh, where he's going at the end of the six. How, how do you feel about that, Nick? Yeah, I completely agree. Cause I feel like Trey Burton literally can just be like, probably you mentioned earlier. It's just like this year, Zach Ertz. Um, when it comes down to tight ends, so many people are so like helping on trying to get like themselves like a Gronk or a Travis Kelsey, just so they don't have to deal with that crap shoot or going to the waiver wire every week just to try to find a tight end that can scrunch out like six points for them. Trey Burton allows you to have the luxury of being able to draft a solid team, get your solid backs, get your solid wide receivers, and then still get a tight end that's going to finish probably in the top five this year. So I love the Trey Burton pick, especially from the fact that he's coming from that um, Kansas City offense where Matt Nagy was able to make sure that Travis Kelsey took that next leap, that next leap forward into being one of the dominant tight ends in this league. So while Trey Burton may not immediately be Travis Kelsey and put up those kind of numbers, he's still going to be right around that top end and being above a lot of those other tight ends. So I'm all on board on Trey Burton this year. Yeah. Um, so the next, uh, the next position I'm going to go into now is I'm going to talk about some, a couple of running backs. Uh, according to Fantasy Football Calculator for half-point PBR leagues, we have both Peyton Barber and Sony Michelle going at 7-5. Uh, first, I'll start off with Peyton Barber. Um, I think he's in a great position, and I know people are scared because they drafted Ronald Jones in the draft, and you know, he was, you know, he did really well at USC. However, you know, there were a lot of people out there that had concerns where his play style, where he needs a lot of open space, um, you know, how you know, can he be successful in the NFL? And I'm not going to go and make a, you know, make a stamp in the ground statement that Ronald Jones is a bust, but based off preseason, he had a really tough time picking up yards. And what looked really good was Peyton Barber. And people are overlooking Peyton Barber because when Peyton Barber got an opportunity last year, he also looked very good. Uh, Taking a look now, I think, at the last five games of the season for him last year, he got at least 12 carries in each game. And he averaged 4.4 yards a carry, 4.8, 4.1, 3.9, 4.2. 
So, you know, he's averaging there, you know, mid four, mid fours right there. And uh, in that span, he had one rushing touchdown. Um, before that, previously had a game against the, the Falcons. Really, he had five touches, but he had two touchdowns. So he's shown that not only can he punch the ball in on the goal line, he also is able to carry the ball on the ground and continuously pick up positive yards, something that Ronald Jones showed he hasn't been able to do. So I think Peyton Barber kind of just runs away with this job, and, and maybe Ronald Jones takes over at some point, but he's someone that you can hold, you know, be pretty valuable for the early part of the year, trade, and, you know, where you're drafting him right now in the seventh, eighth round, um, you know, you can, based on if you're going zero RB or something like that, you can have him as your RB too if your wide receivers are stacked and you've got Gronk as your tight end, uh, and I think you're, you'll be coming away with something pretty valuable. Um, uh, what's, do you have any opinions on Peyton Barber, Nick? Oh, yeah. It's one of those things is I'm such a big Peyton Barber fan this year because, you know me, I've always hated the whole rookie like bandwagon that everyone wants to get on where it's like, all right, rookies are the new shiny thing in fantasy. They have all this unknown potential. So we're going to super overdraft them no matter if they're not listed as the starter just because we don't like the other guy. So the rookie has to be better. So I'm really happy that the whole Peyton Barber, Ronald Jones thing happened because this is a reality. Sometimes even if a team invests second round capital in a running back, that running back may take a year or two to develop or he may not be that great. So we should not just go ahead and bury the guy that was ahead of him on the depth chart, just like how everyone wanted to do. It wasn't until pretty much the third preseason game once it became official in people's minds that Ronald Jones just may not be that good this year that then Peyton Barber became an acceptable name. But you saw it all throughout training camp, even through the first couple of games. Peyton Barber, it was pretty much his job to lose at that point, and Ronald Jones didn't do anything to take it away from him. So I love the I love the whole Peyton Barber thing. I really hope that he can actually maintain his hold in the backfield just to be able to just balance out fantasy more so we don't always have to reach and take all these rookie running backs and let them start fading a little bit further down the draft for yeah, that should and be. Speaking of rookie running backs, the other guy tied at that 7-5 ADP is Sony Michelle. And that's another guy that I am targeting. And it also depends on the league. If you have a shallow bench and you have as many transactions as you want and you know you're going to be dropping a bunch of – you want to drop a couple of your bench guys throughout the first few weeks to carry two quarterbacks or carry two defenses or something like that, then Michelle is probably not someone you want to draft. But just based on what this guy did at Georgia, he was a great electric back, made tons of big plays, can run the ball, can catch the ball. Um, the Patriots obviously, you know, believed in his talent drafting in the first round because, we you know, they don't really draft running backs in the first round. So it just kind of, you know, it kind of shows how much they like him. And they also knew about his uh, injury history where I think he tore his ACL in high school and then he had the meniscus injury. So I know he's been doing some cleanup stuff, and they've been trying to get that. I don't think everything has been fully clear media-wise, which is why you are rolling a dice. But at this point in the draft, if you have someone on your bench, you know, deep benches, or you, you can hold on to someone for a while, I think Sony Michelle can be that, you know, Alvin Kamara-type player who emerges by week three, week four, and he continues to have big games on the ground, punching in with rushing touchdowns, receiving touchdowns, and we see the backs... There's always the backs are always successful on the Patriots. It's always spread between you know all the different guys they have there. So if they have a little more faith in Michelle based on where they drafted him, and just how we've seen with those guys, Rex Burkhead's injury prone, James White's injury prone, Jeremy Hill's injury prone. I know they have a lot of mouths there, but if Michelle is getting healthier and healthier as the season starts, and one of those guys goes down, they can really open the door for Michelle to just run away and become uh, you know that great running back that you know, starts carrying teams. And I think that's my problem with Michelle. It's like, I feel like Sonny Michelle is a great person to trade for later in the year. I'm just not a fan of drafting him, even with that later round NDP, because I feel like I'm going to hold him for too long. Because I'm going to have to worry about the injury, just making sure he's 100%. And even when he is 100%, then he has to deal with trying to get through Rex Burkhead and James White and all of them. We know the Patriots love Rex Burkhead. And they're, but they're just too unpredictable. It's like you don't know what the Patriots want to ever do at running back 
like how last year everyone was on the Mike Gillisley bandwagon and everyone was on the Rex Burkhead bandwagon. But then here comes Deion Lewis, the last running back that any of us drafted, I think like in the 12th, 13th round. He's the one that ends up being the leading back. Granted, yes, due to a series of injuries and everything, but that just tends to be what the Patriots system is. It's just so unpredictable that I would feel better trading for a person than investing like a draft pick, especially when I know not right out the gate, he's going to be able to contribute immediately to my team because just it's still too many questions. All right, with Shoney Michelle, if it's one of those things like how it was with Mark Ingram, or okay, after Mark Ingram's suspension's done, I know what the workload he's going to get. Even if it is a little bit less, I know what I'm expecting. Even when Sony Michelle is like healthy, I still have no idea what's going to happen. So I could be looking at week seven, week eight, possibly before he starts making solid contributions, which tend to be what a lot of Patriot running backs have done. They've been later season gems that you've been able to get up through the waiver wire or trade. And then that's what you were getting in fantasy. So I would disagree on Michelle just being a value because I just don't want to hold on to something possibly that long. Yeah, no, it, it definitely depends on league setup. Like, for example, one of the leagues, which is not ever something I'd promote, but, you know, we have 32 transaction limits on the season. That's a perfect league for me. It's just like, hey, you're going to be that one bench spot guy that you're going to sit there until week six, seven, eight, and I'll, and I'll make a decision from there. But um, I know, and, and the other thing that you mentioned is how the Patriots do things and they are unpredictable. That That is Bill Belichick. He is unpredictable. And he continues to be unpredictable because that's how he catches people off guard. And I know you said, you know, they've done these committees in the past with Mike Gillisley, whoever. But none of them, you know, were first round. We haven't seen a first round running backs from the Patriots. And I don't, I can't even remember how long ago. Um, I think maybe it was Lawrence Maroney a first round back. I can't, um, that's, it's a while ago. But I mean, that, that is true. That is the one thing that makes the Sony Michelle thing hard is that the Patriots have never invested that much. And so I completely understand that. I think one day he is going to be the dude. I just don't know if it's going to be now. Yeah, no, I got you on that. Uh, it, it's all about him getting healthy and contributing because he's someone I'd be less high on in, say, dynasty leagues or keeper leagues because with that injury and and – you know, how it is continuous to the same knee. He is someone that, unfortunately, I don't think will have the longest career running back. But, yeah, well, we, we went into uh, some depths on those running backs there. Those are guys that you can get. And, and it depends on the league. I, I'm seeing their ADP at 7 now. In two drafts recently, I got Michelle in the ninth and the 10th round. So I guess it just all depends on your league. I probably would not take him in the 7th, honestly. Um, maybe this Maybe he's having a recent spike because he has been practicing again. But uh, if he does start to slip, I think it's a good value. So uh, moving on from there, uh, I'm going to get to that range of receivers um, that are going in that 10th, 11th round. Uh, you know, these are after the guys like your Robbie Andersons, your Devin Funchesses, uh, your Jordan Jordy Nelsons. These are you know those are guys who've shown it in the past. Um, you can kind of expect them. You don't expect them to go off or a new situation. Jordy's on a new team and. Robbie Anderson has a new quarterback. So I know those guys are going like the eighth, ninth round. I would rather you wait, go elsewhere in that seven, eighth round, you know, maybe get backs, quarterbacks, tight end, whatever you need. And when it hits the ninth and tenth round, I'm going to start talking with some guys that I think you should do your best to not just get one, but, you know, try to get as many as you can because there is such high upside. Uh, the first one uh, I'm just going to mention very, very quickly just because I think everyone out there in the world has mentioned it now uh, due to the Marquise Lee injury. But Keelan Cole, um, he ended those last four or five games last year on fire. Everyone's been talking about it. He's now a starting wide receiver. He's where he's going now in the 11th round. That's someone that you want to have on your team just because the upside's so high. Say, you know, it's a couple games into the season. Hey, it's the Jaguars. It's Blake Bortles. If things aren't working out, you can cut bait and go elsewhere, and you're not mad about where you drafted him. Um, someone else who's also around that ADP at 11.5 is Kenny Galladay. Um, I believe now with more, uh, you know, more exposure to the league under his belt, uh, he's been a little more. He had a big preseason last year. He was, you know, showing to be involved this preseason. Um, I know they're probably trying to get him more reps, and it's not like he's taking over the number two spot from Golden Tate. But I do think he's someone that has a high upside 
that if he is going to be something, you might see it right off the bat. And so he's one of those guys that you can draft. Um, say he busts out week one or week two, or you can either ride him or you can try to flip him. But uh, I think for where he's going, he's well worth, uh, worth the upside. Um, do you have any uh, inputs on those two guys? Well, the Keelan Cole, I'm 100% on the bandwagon with you there. Especially like what? Yeah, those three games from week 14 through 16 – He's got like a pretty much 100 yards, 186, and then 108, which for when it came to Jaguar wide receivers, that just seemed unheard of um, in the in the in the most recent years. So I am definitely on board with the Keelan Cole thing. It's just it's one of those things. It's all about opportunity, just superseding value. Because um, what we're looking at for his 14th round, that you're looking at getting him there, and the opportunity you're looking at someone that you probably could have taken in the seventh eighth round for wide receivers just matching up possible target volume and even red zone looks that we can be looking at with keelan cole so i think he's someone that's definitely going to outproduce um his projected range especially with the marquise lee injury as for kenny galladay um that one i disagree with more on just because i still more so believe in the marvin jones narrative um that he's he's going to regress just because he was too efficient Scoring nine touchdowns off 61 catches, that's just ridiculously efficient. So he's going to, I feel like he's going to have a natural regression on his own, but I don't feel like that's going to give way for Kenny Galladay to start eating in and like carving out his own like week in, week out role within the offense. I still believe Golden Tate has his role um, for being like the pretty much the high target volume guy. I think Marvin Jones has his role as being the one that can get down the field, take the top off of defense. According to training cramp reports, Marvin Jones has been like explosive and just all over the place, getting even a better rapport with Matthew Stafford. So I think he is starting to separate himself um, further as number one. Well, Kenny Galladay is definitely going to have some of the some of those rant those weeks where he's going to where he may get like a forty yard touchdown and end up like a hundred yards, four catches and a touchdown. I don't think we're going to be able to predict it, and it's going to be. I think it's going to be in similar veins to like how maybe. Kenny Stills was um, like a year or two ago where Kenny Stills would have those weeks where it looks like he's a good matchup and he will produce for you. But then there's going to be those times where like you try to trust in him and it just would go south from there. So that's where I feel like Kenny Galladay is going to be um, on that end. Yeah. And I feel like maybe we, I could be a, a year early on Galladay, which is like at this point in the draft, these aren't, these aren't ever people that I'm marrying and saying you're, I'm with you forever till the end of the season. It's, you know, after week one even. Um, I, I'll cut you for someone who breaks out. So, uh, and even last year, we saw Kenny Galladay have that opening game. He had four catches for 69 yards and two touchdowns, and everyone went and blew their number one claim on him. So, I mean, say you draft him at this spot, he comes out and does the same thing out of the gate. People, people are gonna think, oh, this is this is even though he did the same thing last year, this this could be Galladay's year. This is gonna be the year he takes over, and you could easily rob someone. Or at that point, if you're just getting away for whatever you want, you know, maybe there's a better defense you want, something like that. You you go ahead and make that trade. So he, he's more of that gamble, see what happens week one. If not, cut bait. Um. So the the next guys we'll talk about are also guys that are going in the end of the 11th round. So basically they have a lot of receivers right now uh, with ADPs in the 11th. And if you can come away with a couple of these guys, I like it. So two of the next guys I'll talk about here are uh, John Brown and Cameron Meredith. Uh, John Brown's always made big plays and, uh, you know, been a good player for the Cardinals. It's just with that sickle cell trade, he's just constantly been injured and it's been affecting him. And, you know, Bruce Arians is saying, yeah, you can't practice. You're not going to, you know, you're not going to see um, targets in the game. You're not going to see snaps. Uh, you have to get your practice in. So I think now he's in a different situation. He is healthy at the moment. And we heard a lot of good things from camp. Uh, Crabtree isn't someone I really expect to stretch the field. And, and Flacco is known to throw those, you know, bomb touchdowns in there. And with them drafting Lamar Jackson, I think we may see a better Joe Flacco than we've seen in the past. He might he might try to get the ball downfield a little, more, uh, a little bit more. And so I do see the Ravens offense moving the ball a little bit better than I have in the past. And, and someone has to benefit there. So if John Brown is healthy, you know, he's one of those guys that can have those big plays, you know, the 60-yard touchdown bomb 
So he's someone that I do like as someone who could emerge um, into a, a viable fantasy option as a guy you want to throw into your flex every week. Uh, yep. Your opinion on John Brown, Nick? Yeah, when it comes to John Brown, I'm like the image I get in my head is literally like the second coming of that Ravens team when they got Anquan Bolden. So this time it's going to be Michael Crabtree where he was their possession receiver, but he could still go up, make big plays in order to move the chains and be the touchdown guy. And then John Brown is literally taking over that young Torrey Smith role when young Torrey Smith was a viable fantasy asset where he would have a very, he'd have a low target volume, wouldn't get that too many catches, maybe like 50, 60 catches in a year, but he'd get a thousand yards just mainly off of deep plays. And that's where I could see John Brown going to. Joe Flacco, it's one of those things where we kind of forgot about in recent years because he hasn't had any weapons. And I still, well, I don't think Joe Flacco is a great quarterback. He does have a big arm and he has shown a lot of proficiency for the deep ball, which, you know, coincides perfectly well with John Brown's game. So I do expect that he could be someone that provides a lot of value. So I am on board with the John Brown train. Okay. Nice. And uh, the next one I mentioned is Cameron Meredith, someone who I was really high on going into pre-draft process like a month ago. Couldn't really get on the field. Um, I started to get a little more concerned. But I know he finally was able to get in on that last preseason game and he was heavily targeted. And I think he's someone who can be successful on the Saints offense. Uh, I do expect Drew Brees to have a little bit better year than last year. Uh, not everything is going to go to Michael Thomas. And uh, there has to be some sort of regression from Kamara. I think still think Kamara is going to be a top back, catch a lot of passes, score touchdowns, both receiving and rushing. But um, there, there is uh, targets to go elsewhere. And I don't think it's going to, to Ted Ginn. And, uh, you know, Meredith has always been that sleeper guy or guy ready to – looks like he's about to break out and he, he's been drilled by injuries or the situation there in, in Chicago. So uh, Meredith is someone that I like too that I think has high upside. And it, this might be one one of the guys that maybe you're not looking to pop week one. You're, you got to willing to commit a few weeks and see if Drew's looking that way. And I, I don't see him stepping in right away week one and, you know, getting a ton of snaps. That's something that's also going to – take a little time so it just, just depends on how patient you can be uh what's your what's your feeling about Cameron Meredith Nick yeah I gotta put Cameron Meredith in that same box as Sony Michelle I agree with you in the fact where I feel like eventually it's going to happen because even like going last year Ted Ginn was a viable fantasy option um especially towards the later part of the year um on a few more than a few occasions I think Cameron Meredith will be able to put out the same kind of value it's just gonna be later in the year I think with him just being able to finally get back to make a push at that number two spot is going to take him a little while to get there. And I'm probably looking at maybe second half of the season. I could see him being like one of those ideal waiver wire pickups, similar to like maybe how Robbie Anderson was last year, where he just starts going off on a spree of weeks and then you have to pick him up. So I feel like Cameron Meredith is more going to fit under that front as a great waiver wire pickup than a draft pick. So it'd be one of those things where I would want to just keep an eye on him and just to see how he just kind of steadily gets maybe more and more involved in the offense as the season goes along. Cause I still believe Ted Ginn's just going to get that kind of that veteran benefit of a doubt um, until Cameron Meredith is like fully ready just to take the job. Yeah. Away. I never see that. Like, uh, like I said, th- this is mainly uh, goes on your league, especially um, one thing I worry about if there's guys I really want, who I really believe at some point will break out. If it's uh, one of those leagues where you're still going on the old school system of, you know, you have waiver a waiver claim each week or it, or it resets every week or something like that. Um, there's really no guarantee you'll get that guy you want when they blow up. Obviously, if you're if you're playing the way, uh, I, I guess the method that I prefer, and you're playing with like a bad free agency, yeah, a lot of the, a lot of these people, a lot of these guys who are going to be impatient with, they'll drop them, and you can go spend whatever you need to get them. So it, it, it's a hundred percent based on your league, but this. These are definitely some guys that I think can have long-term value. And uh, I do know that we are running out of time, but just basically in that range of the 11th, 12th round, there is some other guys there too. But I'll just briefly just mention their name, like uh, Tyler Lockett. Uh, I was kind of worried because he hadn't really been playing, but they paid him a bunch of money. Michael Gallup could be the starter in Dallas, even though we don't think it's going to be a high-powered offense. they got to get the ball somewhere. Uh, Chris Godwin who's going to be, I think, what they said, they'll start the co-starter with Deshaun Jackson. 
uh, Geronimo Allison, who will be a top target for Aaron. All these guys, you, you want to, with these group of five, about eight, ten receivers, uh, I really feel like you do want to get a couple of those to just sit on because these are guys that could really emerge into uh, weekly startable assets. Yeah, I think a lot of those are really good ones. Um, especially, I think my favorite among those is the Michael Gallup one because I think that's going to be one of those situations where a lot of owners just try to gravitate towards Alan Hearns just because he's the name value that we're familiar with. It's like, oh, he's a receiver that's had a thousand yards before, but Alan Hearns has been banged up during the training camp in preseason, so that gave Dak Prescott time to try to develop more of a rapport with Michael Gallup. Michael Gallup, someone that the Cowboys invested. Um, a draft again, so they're seeing future outlook and potential for him. So I can definitely see him coming out on top in that situation. We already saw a couple flashes in preseason with him able to get in the end zone. So that's something I would definitely want to keep my eyes on, especially with the others, mainly Geronimo Allison, because it's one of those things where in preseason you can't see too much because Aaron Rodgers is not going to play. But historically, whoever's been on the field with Aaron Rodgers has been a viable fantasy out, um, fantasy target. Just because the last couple years we've been able to get like probably two Packer receivers um, between Devontae Adams on his emergence and then Jordy Nelson. Now that Jordy Nelson's gone, someone has to try to fill that void. It could end up being just Jimmy Graham, um, but still he's I feel like Jimmy Graham be more of a red zone threat. And while Randall Cobb is eventually probably going to get hurt again, so that does fill another void, which Jamaron Allison can fill it nicely. So I completely agree with you on a lot of those picks to keep an eye on or making some late round flyers you want to make sure you get a hold of so you don't have to fight with them um, during your waiver wire period. All right, guys, that's going to wrap it up for today's show. As always, feel free to check out our additional content on YouTube, just looking up the Fantasy Football Shrinks, and check out our webpage, fantasyfootballshrinks.com, to see our latest rankings and newest articles to help you guys win your fantasy leagues. And on that note, we'll see you at our next therapy session.